ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So here we are then, resume the classes after Ramadan. So it should be a time for everybody to rejuvenate, a time for everyone to step up their efforts once again. After the break of a few weeks, a time for everyone to recollect <coughs> the purpose and the intention behind knowledge, behind seeking knowledge, behind the purpose of your presence here tonight. This knowledge does not come easy. The knowledge comes with striving. It comes with effort. And that's why the Salaf they used to mention, لَا يُنَالُ الْعِلْمِ بِرَاحَةِ الْجَسَدِ You will not gain knowledge by relaxation of the body. A person who wants to relax, a person who wants to take it easy, a person who cannot be bothered to come out to the masjid for the classes, even though he has the ability, those types of people will not gain the knowledge that they desire or the knowledge that they dream of. Knowledge is acquired with effort. Knowledge is acquired with striving. It's required, it's acquired with patience and with a lengthy intention. Knowledge is not gained overnight. Knowledge is not gained in one sitting or two. And that's why the Salaf used to mention, مَنْ رَامَ الْعِلْمَ جُمْلَةً ذَهَبَ عَنْهُ جُمْلَةً Whoever tries to get all of the knowledge in one go, then it will disappear from you in one go. Meaning you try to learn everything at once, you go straight to the detailed affairs and you want to learn all of it in one go, then you will not become grounded in that knowledge. You will not become firm in that knowledge and so just as quickly as you acquired it all, then just as quick it will disappear from you all. It will disappear because you never established and grounded yourself in it. So a person needs to be aware of several things when it comes to this religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created you and placed you upon this earth for a purpose. That purpose Allah informed us of in the Quran. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I did not create the jinn or the humans except for them to worship me. Our purpose of existence is the worship of Allah. If that is the purpose of our existence, then we need to ensure that we fulfill that purpose. And that fulfillment 
can only occur if you know how to fulfill that purpose. If you know how to fulfill your objective of worshipping Allah. The how is only understood through the seeking of this knowledge. It is only understood through understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah. It is only understood how to worship Allah, how to fulfill your objective of creation, if you understand what Allah has informed you in the Quran, you understand what the Prophet ﷺ informed us of in the Sunnah. And that's why you have so much encouragement, so much encouragement in the Quran, in the Sunnah, to acquire this knowledge and to strive for it, to seek after it, in order that you can then be upon knowledge, upon understanding, upon basirah, insight in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in so many narrations encouraged us with this knowledge, mentioning for example, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for, then Allah gives that person knowledge of the religion. Allah gives that person fiqh in the religion, which is a precise knowledge, a detailed knowledge and understanding of who your Lord is, a detailed understanding of what the Qur'an is, what the Sunnah is, whomsoever Allah desires goodness for, then a sign of goodness upon a person, is that he has been given knowledge of this religion. And that knowledge is with the striving. The Prophet ﷺ also mentioned in another narration, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Whomsoever treads upon a pathway, seeking by it knowledge, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make your pathway to paradise easy because of it. Because of what? Because of you striving for knowledge, because of you putting the effort in to seek knowledge, that meant that you had a greater understanding of Allah, that you had a greater understanding of your religion, you had a greater ability to worship your Lord, and as a consequence, all of that is making your pathway to paradise easier compared to a person who does not have any knowledge, does not strive for this knowledge, does not give any focus to his religion, then for him, there will be difficulty in finding the pathway and treading upon it to paradise. Ibn al-Qayyim, the famous statement he made, إِنَّ الطَّرِيقَ الْمُوصِلَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَاحِدٌ The path that will take you to Allah is only one. There is only one pathway to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only one pathway to the pleasure of Allah. Only one pathway to His paradise. And that is the pathway of the Qur'an and the Sunnah that has been given to us. 
the pathway that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to us, that clinging on to that revolution will guide us to it and keep us upon it. تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ شَيْئَيْنَ مَا إِنْ تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِمَا لَنْ تَظِلُّوا بَعْدِي أو كما قال that I have left two things behind. As long as you cling on to them, you will not go astray. The book of Allah and my sunnah. How do you cling on to them? This narration that you hear so often, and you've heard it quoted often, cling on to the book of Allah and the sunnah, and you will not go astray. How do you cling on to the book of Allah and the sunnah? What is that clinging on? Then certainly without a doubt, in order to cling on to something, you must be aware of what it is in the first place. How can you cling on to the Qur'an if you do not know what the Qur'an is? How can you cling on to the Sunnah if you do not know what the Sunnah is? Clinging on to them requires an understanding of them. Only then can you cling on to it. Because the opposite is completely true also. You cannot protect yourself from something if you do not know what you are protecting yourself from. How can you protect yourself from something if you do not know what it is that you are supposed to be protecting yourself from? The opposite of the Quran and the Sunnah. The shirk and the bid'ah, the misguidance, all of that which you need to protect yourself from. That protection from all of that which opposes the Quran and the Sunnah can similarly only be achieved through understanding the Quran and the Sunnah. That's why the scholars, they mention. There are two aspects you must pay attention to. The aspect of learning and understanding what the Qur'an and the Sunnah is, the correct methodology, what it is, the correct aqidah. But then at the same time, also therefore, by consequence going on and learning, that which opposes the Qur'an, that which opposes the Sunnah, in order that you can then stay away from that. And that is why you have the famous narration of Hudayfa. Radiyallahu anhu when he said, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرْ مَخَافَةً أَنْ أَقَعَ فِي وَفِي رِوَايَ مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي That the people they used to go and ask, the Prophet ﷺ about the good things. What are the good things and the worship and the actions we should be doing? But he said, I used to ask him about the evil, fearing that I may otherwise fall into it. And in the other version, fearing that otherwise it may engulf me. It may overcome me otherwise. All of this will only be understood through seeking the knowledge of this Qur'an and Sunnah. Hence Allah mentioned also in the Qur'an the difference between those who seek the knowledge 
and they have that knowledge compared to those who do not. And Allah mentioned, هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Are they equal the ones who know and the ones who do not know? Are they equal the ones who have knowledge? Knowledge of who their Creator is, who their Lord is, what this worship is and how. And those who do not, those who do not understand who they pray to five times a day, they do not have any knowledge of the names and the attributes of Allah, exactly what we are studying right now. They do not have an understanding of how worship is performed, when it is performed, what it is. Then are those two types of people equal, Allah says in the Quran? Clearly they are not. The one who has knowledge of his religion is superior to the one who does not. And that's why it's mentioned in a narration in Sahih Muslim that a person may be in this world, he lives a life of poverty, a life with nothing of the goods and the luxuries of this world. Perhaps he comes to the door and the people, they shut the door in his face, they shun him away. But on the day of judgment, that individual, he will be dipped into paradise, not even placed into it, dipped into it and removed. That one dipping into paradise, that momentary time in paradise, he will say that he has forgotten all of the difficulties of this world, all of what occurred to him and how he lived in this world, he will forget that with a simple dipping momentarily into paradise and out. Let alone for the one that who then remains therein forever. And that is the example of the pious and the righteous one. The one who sought the knowledge of his religion and practiced it. As opposed to the one who lives for the worldly affairs. Lives for the luxuries of this world. And cannot bring himself to the studying of his religion, cannot bring himself to focus on his religion, cannot bring himself to recollect and to remember every morning he awakens that indeed Allah has told you, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Did not create the jinn of the humans except for them to worship me. Every day that you live is a day for your worship to Allah. And all of that worship will only be achieved through this knowledge that you gain. Look at the famous examples from the Salaf, the examples of the Imams that have gone by in their striving for this knowledge. That famous example of Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu anhu, he and one of his neighbors, they used to at one time be looking after the sheep. And so it was not possible for them to go and sit with the Prophet ﷺ every day. Since the sheep, the livestock, it requires looking after on a daily basis. But that did not prevent them from knowledge. Did not prevent them from going and sitting with the Prophet ﷺ. Looking after wild stock, livestock, sheep, animals. It did not prevent them. 
they made an agreement amongst themselves, the two neighbors, Amr ibn al-Khattab and his neighbor, that I will go one day to the Prophet and seek the knowledge, and then I'll come back and fill you in for that day. The next day you go and sit with the Prophet seek the knowledge and then fill me in for that day. In that way, the two of them had the knowledge from the Prophet on a daily basis. And they did not miss out on anything. Such was their zeal and their need or their enthusiasm to seek that knowledge and to not be left out from those who missed out. Nowadays the people have barely a fraction of that type of uh, job or type of responsibility and yet the lessons cannot be attended. Nobody has sheep to look after now, has livestock to look after, daily physical work out in the fields. Barely a person here from our gatherings has that. And yet the 9 to 5, sitting in front of a desk and a computer or whatever it, it may be, is sufficient to cause the levels of tiredness to prevent a person attending a class nowadays. A person when he examines himself to what the Salaf were, then you recognize how weak we have become. How weak we have become compared to what the Salaf were upon. How weak we have become compared to the striving that they were upon. Look at the example of Ibn Abza. That famous example when Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was the Khalifa. And he had put Nafi' Nafi' in charge of Mecca as the deputy over there. On one occasion Nafi' traveled from Mecca to Medina to visit Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him who have you left in charge in Mecca in your absence? He said, I have left a man by the name of Ibn Abza in charge. Umar ibn al-Khattab asked him, and who is Ibn Abza? He said, he used to be one of our slaves there. He used to be one of our slaves before. He's a freed man now, but he used to be one of our slaves. A freed slave man. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him that you left a former slave in charge? Meaning, will the people respect him? Will the people give him any authority? Will they respect this individual and listen to him that you have left a former slave in charge? So Nafi'ah mentioned to him that this Ibn Abza is a man who is knowledgeable in the Qur'an, knowledgeable in Fara'id. So then when Umar ibn al-Khattab heard this, that this particular Ibn Abza, a former slave, is a man who is an expert or somebody who is a scholar in the Qur'an, scholar of the religion, a person of knowledge, he said, لَقَدْ سَمِعْتَ قَوْلَ نَبِيِّكَ 
He said, indeed, in that case, you have heard the statement of your Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْفَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the people by this book. وَيَضَعُ بِهِ الْآخَرِينَ and he debases, lowers and degrades others by virtue of it. Meaning those who seek knowledge of the Qur'an, knowledge of this religion, then Allah raises those individuals. But those who neglect the Qur'an, then Allah degrades those individuals. So Umar ibn Khattab was saying to him, you've done good. You have put somebody in charge who is knowledgeable, knowledgeable of the Qur'an, the Sunnah. Allah raises those people. So that is good. They will certainly give him respect. Regardless of whether he was a former slave of theirs. Previously, he was a slave amongst them. The people would have seen him as a slave in the olden days. And now he is raised as the deputy in charge temporarily whilst Nafi is away, a former slave now in authority. And they will give him that authority and respect because of how Allah raised that man due to his knowledge of the religion. Similarly, the narration of Muhammad ibn Abdul Rahman al-Awqas, that individual who was born disabled, a man from the times of the past, an imam of the past, he was born disabled. It's mentioned in Sirah Alam al-Nubala in his biography that he was born with practically no neck. His head was right into his shoulders and his chest. No neck practically. And that his shoulders, his bones would stick out forwards. His forwards, they were protruding. Shoulders forwards and no neck. And he was born like that, disabled in this way, physically disfigured in this way. Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas. So when he was young, they used to mock him. They used to laugh at him. Everybody used to make a joke out of him because of the way he looked, physically disfigured. So then his mother said to him, You will not go to a gathering of the people except that you are the one everybody will make their laughing and their jokes over. Everywhere you go, every gathering you go to, you will be the butt of the jokes. You will be the one that everybody makes their laughter over. You will be the one that everybody pokes the fun at because of your appearance. فَعَلَيْكَ بِالْعِلْمِ So upon you, the solution to that is to seek knowledge. That's what his mother said to him. He narrates this himself in his biography. Says, my mother said to me, عَلَيْكَ بِالْعِلْمِ Upon you therefore is to seek knowledge. He said those words of my mother impacted upon me. So I began seeking the knowledge. He sought the knowledge and sought the knowledge, continued striving after that knowledge. And remember, 
He was a man mocked by the people because of his appearance. In one occasion, he even narrates that he was walking down the street and somebody either from his relatives or maybe not, but a woman, she noticed him and he was walking down the street and it's mentioned she was from his relatives that he was making dua as he was walking as is the way of the people of knowledge, those who recognize the importance of dhikr they recognize the importance of having a tongue moist upon the remembrance of Allah always he was walking down the street on one occasion making the remembrance, the dua to Allah making the dua Oh Allah, in Arabic they say Free my neck from the fire, literally Meaning, save me from the fire, enter me to paradise But the phrase used is Free my neck from the fire So she said And Yabna Ammi The son of my uncle What neck do you have in the first place? Mockery, because he did not physically have a neck They used to mock him but he continued upon that knowledge until it is mentioned in his biography years later years later this man still disabled nothing has changed in his appearance born disabled and disfigured and still disfigured physically but years later now as he grew old he from that knowledge that he sought the striving in his lifetime Allah raised him that he became the judge of Mecca. He became one of the judges in Mecca. And they say in his biography, and look at the way Allah changes the state of a person from or by virtue of that knowledge. He used to be a judge, and they say when the people used to walk into his courtroom, when they used to walk into his courtroom, the judge, he's sitting there, Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas, the one accused and the one accusing him, both of those individuals, they would walk into his courtroom shaking. Not shaking because they're worried about their case. Shaking from seeing Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas, from what they recognized of his level and his strength in knowledge both of them knew they had to be upon point with truthfulness in their statements and everything they knew of the strength and the level of this man the knowledge of this man Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Uqs they say they would be shaking in front of him in his courtroom until they left so look at the change years earlier they would be sitting laughing at him and mocking him and then years later by virtue of that knowledge that he sought for the sake of Allah they now no longer laugh at him when they see him they shake in fear before him that is mentioned in the biography and the scholars they say look at that look at how Allah raises a person who seeks this knowledge and there are many examples in the sunnah many examples the scholars they quote for how this knowledge it raises an individual not that an individual seeks the knowledge for the purpose of being raised and a person seeks the knowledge sincerely for the sake of Allah but this is from the virtue that is placed upon that individual 
Allah raises the people of taqwa. Allah raises the people of iman, of knowledge. In one narration it mentions the virtue of this knowledge. Amr ibn Salama. Amr ibn Salama when he was six or seven years old. He says on one occasion my father came. He came to us. There was a group of companions, some of them. Amr ibn Salama. He was only six or seven years old amongst them. He says, my father came and he said, جئتكم من عند النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بالحق أو حقا that I have come to you from the Prophet with truth, truth of revelation. What was this regarding? It was regarding the prayer. He said that the Prophet mentioned that when the time of the prayer comes, When the time of the prayer comes, then one of you make the adhan. And the one who leads the prayer is the one with the most in terms of the Qur'an. So then, Amr ibn Salama says, so then they began looking around at each other. Who is the most appropriate and suitable in accordance to the statement of the Prophet ﷺ to lead the prayer? He says they began to look. Fanadaru, fanadaru. And then he says, Fa'idha, and as it turned out, I, Amr ibn Salama, six years old, he said, I was the most capable in my knowledge of the Qur'an from them all. فَقَدَّمُونِي So they put me forward to lead the prayer. He says, وَكُنْتُ ibn سِتِّنْ وَسَبْعِنْ I was only six or seven years old at the time. The scholars, they mention, look at the virtue of knowledge. Amongst this group of men, this youngest one, the youngest amongst them, only six or seven, he says himself. I was only six or seven. Yet, by the virtue of the knowledge that he had, he is the one that the grown men have to now put forward to lead the prayer for them. Sheikh Fawzan said that is from the virtues of knowledge. The virtues of knowledge, how it raises an individual. So when we talk about these affairs, we talk about knowledge and the importance of it, it's not something that you should just listen to those lectures about knowledge and striving and importance of seeking it. Those lectures, those admonishments are not types of things that should come in and go out from the other side. Many people, they may try to gain knowledge, but only a few genuinely strive in the long run. Only a few genuinely benefit because it requires a certain mentality. Seeking knowledge requires a certain mentality. Certain ways that the scholars they advise, certain methods, certain ways of thinking. A person isn't going to gain knowledge just by attending the class even. It requires more than that with your intention. You need to have a genuine and sincere intention that you want to learn what Allah has taught us in the Qur'an.
the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to learn what is in the sunnah, the vast sunnah. Sahih al-Bukhari, how many hadith do you know from it? Sahih Muslim, how many hadith do you know from it? How many, if you were to read Bukhari from beginning to end, what percentage of that do you know? Perhaps 90% of just Bukhari, let alone the other books. You have never come across those hadith. Never heard them in your life. Never known about these sunnahs in your life. Sahih Muslim. Beginning to end, how much of it do you know and you do not know? Maybe 90% of those narrations, you've never read them in your life. Never come across them, never known those sunnah. So a person, when he thinks about knowledge, he needs to have a mentality of longevity. It is something that is in the long run, the seeking of knowledge. Knowledge won't come in a day or two or a sitting or two. It won't come in a month or two or even a year or two. A year or two, knowledge will not come to you. It takes striving for years and years. In the University of Medina, six years. The six-year course. Two years to become proficient or to the level of proficiency in Arabic that enables you to study at university level. Then at that, after that, four years of a degree. After six years, that person is considered as a minor in knowledge. Minor of the minor. You have barely begun after those six years. So then what therefore of those individuals who have not even got to that level of the six years? They've only done four years yet. They've only done two years yet. And some of them now, mashaAllah, barely three months, and they come back and they are now sheikh. Six years and you're not considered anything there. After the six years you get to the masters, now the scholars start to give you a bit more respect. Finally you get to the, doctor, the PhD, then you start to get a bit more respect. That Now the person has learned a little bit. The PhD, that's when you've done 10 years of studying. PhD, you finish it, 14 years of studying. Without the Arabic still, 12 years of studying. Even after the PhD, how many people have PhDs? Even that isn't recognized as a sheikh or anything. There are levels and there are levels. When you see what those levels are, that's why the Salaf, they said about them, the more knowledge you gain, the more you realize how little you know. The more knowledge you gain, not that you realize how much I know now, the more you gain, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. So now, after Ramadan, the classes they resume again, insha'Allah ta'ala, on a weekly basis, will continue to move through at a faster pace through the second half of this book. This book now we've been doing for a while. This book, this chapter, Kitab al-Tawheed from Sahih al-Bukhari, explaining the names and attributes of Allah. We've gone through over half of it now. We've mentioned the principles of Ahlul Sunnah regarding names and attributes. A person who is striving, a person who is working hard on it, should have a recognition of the first 364 pages we've now done. You should have a recognition of that. If somebody was to go back now and ask you something, you should have a recognition. 
Most people will not. And that is the difference, like we said. Just coming to the class isn't enough. If you want to genuinely fulfill your purpose in creation, your purpose of worshipping Allah, then it requires a sincere effort in the knowledge. Striving and learning and memorizing and revising. That's why the scholars, they say, when a person comes to a class, you're either going to be one, or one of two types of people. Either you come to a class as a student with your books, and that is what the scholars used to say. A person who comes to a class without a book is not considered a student. You come with the textbook, you come with your pen. That is the student and that is the statements of the scholars. Al-Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, Al-Shaykh Abdul al-Bukhari. That is what they used to say. The one who doesn't come with the book, then do not consider yourself a student in reality. So coming with the books and the texts, coming with your pen to make the notes, that is the one genuinely seeking knowledge. The one who wants to retain that knowledge. As for the other type of person who comes, then it's good that they attend. That is praiseworthy. But they are not fulfilling their full potential by coming without any books or pens or papers or anything. It's good that they come and that is praiseworthy and they will benefit. That is not the point. They will benefit. But they are not fulfilling the potential of how much they could benefit. By not bringing anything to write, not bringing anything to make notes, not revising that class afterwards, then you're not fulfilling the potential you could from the attendance that you are performing anyway. You are coming and attending anyway. So then you may as well fulfill the potential of that attendance. Why attend and leave yourself short, sell yourself short? And that's why the scholars, they said, you have the students coming to classes and you have the guests. The guests who just come to relax. Don't be like that. Don't be like the guests when it comes to classes. You're going to attend and that is praiseworthy. Make your attendance to the maximum fruits that you can gain from it. And the maximum fruits you will gain are when you attend with books and papers and you're reading and following, making notes, you're revising afterwards, listening to the recordings. That is where a student will really benefit. Otherwise, you're going to go through the books. You may attend all of the book, Thalathatul Usul. You attend the full book, Three Fundamental Principles. You attend the full book, Al-Qawaid Al-Arba' Al-Usul Al-Sitta, Kashf Al-Shubuhat, Kitab Al-Tawheed, everything. But you never make notes, you never make any revision. Then those books, you will only have gained, as the scholars say, general knowledge. That's the difference between a person who comes as a student with books and pens and a person who comes generally. The one with the books and pens is the student who's going to gain the principles and understanding and grounding. The one who comes generally, then all they gain is general knowledge. General knowledge. Those people then, they'll be able to say, yes, I remember this point of benefit, that point of benefit. Points of benefits, they remember general knowledge, they recall. Principles though, 
Explain the principles regarding this narration, that narration. What does it prove? Explain the aqidah with the principles and the points numbered and listed and explained. They can't do that. A person will not do that because the people are not like the likes of Al-Imam Shafi'i in these days. They are not to that likes that they come to the class and memorize everything that is said without writing anything down. So then what therefore of the third category? And who is the third category? The first category are the students who come and they come with their pens and their pads and they're striving. Second category, those who come generally and alhamdulillah, they still benefit. But they're not fulfilling their potential. Third category, that's the guests, the second category. Who's the third category? The ones who don't even come in the first place. What are they going to benefit? Nothing, because they don't even know what we talked about. The ones who do not even attend, now what are they going to benefit? They will not benefit anything. And we're not talking about people who listen online. Listening online for those who are incapable of coming to the mosque, then excellent. As Sheikh Zayd al-Madkhali said, inshallah they'll get the same reward as those physically sitting in the class. For those who are incapable, they cannot make it to the mosque. For example, that would probably apply to many sisters. If they have children, they have other responsibilities, they're not able to come to the masjid, they listen online at least. Brothers maybe live in parts of the world or the country far away, so they listen online. That is all good and that is excellent. And Shaykh Zayd said, inshallah, they get the same reward as those physically there because they genuinely can do nothing other than listen online. But as for those who are capable of coming to the masjid, and they do not, then that is a deficiency. That is a deficiency. It is not acceptable. That we say it openly. Many people always ask, but I listen online, that's okay. Listening online, alhamdulillah, again, it's good and the person will benefit. But you are not fulfilling your full potential. The full potential is if you are capable, then you come and you sit in the masjid. You sit in the actual gathering of knowledge. So for all of those who say we listen online, if you are capable of coming to the masjid, then you should strive to come to the masjid. Strive to be in the gathering of knowledge in person. Not to be listening online when you can come and be there in person. For those who cannot, then it's absolutely good. And inshallah they get the reward of the ones attending in the first place. But that is the third category, the ones who are not attending whatsoever. So for those, you need to encourage them. From your friends, from your brothers, from those who you know. For those who are not striving and they don't have any genuine reason. Other than the reality of it being that it is laziness. Everybody can make excuses. Everybody can make excuses. But those who have genuine reasons are few. Genuine reasons are few because the reality is when other things come up that they view as important, all of a sudden they will make time for them. All of a sudden then they will make time. A wedding comes up, there's going to be a feast. Now they'll take a day of work to attend. Something else comes up, there's going to be some event. Some party, some something else, they'll take time off to go and attend. But when it comes to gatherings of knowledge and events and conferences, 
all of a sudden all the justifications come now all of the excuses to not attend and it is nothing short of laziness whisperings of the shaitan preventing a person from benefiting himself benefiting his family consider what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned regarding all of us and our responsibilities to ourselves to our children to our families all of you are shepherds and all of you are accountable for your flock people are not bothering to bring their children to the masjid all of that age group of 7, 8 up to 14, 15, 16 that age group where is it? that age group should not be out in the streets playing football when the classes are going on that is the age group the salaf had the key focus on when their children were at the age of four, five, six, seven, straight after the classes of Quran memorization. Finish the Quran by the time they hit eight or nine. That age is the age of learning, it is not the age of playing completely. So now we have the responsibility upon ourselves, our families, the communities, and it's upon us to encourage one another. Encourage ourselves, encourage our friends, our brothers, to make sure that they are coming and benefiting from the classes of knowledge. And we are all studying together. Everybody here is studying together. Nobody is superior. We are all here, we are all revising, we are all going through the ahadith of the sunnah together, reading them together, reading the ayat, reading the ahadith. A person who deprives himself of that, then it is only a calamity for himself. So these are points for encouragement for all of us. The society, the community, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, for the da'wah to develop, it will not develop in any other method other than this way. The way of classes. That is the source in every part of the world where the da'wah is being established. The source is classes. Even where they do not have any students, they have their telelinks. They have an opportunity to gather together. All types of places, Russia, everywhere. Telelinks they've been doing with the brothers. They get together, they sit together in a house it may be. And they study and they listen and they learn. That is the core for the improvement of yourself, your families, your community. So now after Ramadan... We're going to resume these classes on a weekly basis, studying about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-asma'u wa-sifat, ashraful ilm, the most noble of knowledge, the greatest of knowledge, knowledge about who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So that is something of vital importance to bring yourselves, your children, your families, your neighbors encourage one another to strive for that knowledge. The one who has that knowledge, that is what will bring you happiness in this world and in the hereafter. Happiness in this world and the hereafter. Knowledge and understanding of your religion and practice of it. All of mankind is in loss except those who have Iman and do righteous actions. And you see lots of ayat mentioning that. 
those who have Iman and do righteous actions. Righteous actions, your worship and your obedience. Iman is what? Iman, as the scholars say, that is synonymous with knowledge. Knowledge is what your Iman will build upon because the greatest method to increase Iman is seeking knowledge. That is what the scholars have clearly mentioned. A person feeling weak in his Iman, the greatest method to increase your Iman is seeking knowledge. And that is why Sheikh Muqbil rahimahullah ta'ala used to say that whenever something bothered him, whenever something was causing him discomfort, agitation, some affair from amongst the affairs, he said, I would go to my library and open up the books. And I would start reading. قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Allah said in the Qur'an, the Prophet وسلم, said in the Hadith, he said, I would begin to read that and it would disappear from me, all of that agitation, all of that discomfort and worry that I had regarding the affairs of the world, whatever it was. Putting yourself, immersing yourself into that knowledge, into the statements of the Qur'an, the Sunnah. Some of the scholars, they used to say when they used to talk, when they used to talk about the Prophet ﷺ, talk about the Sunnah, you had to hear them firsthand. The way they had that passion for this knowledge, the passion for the ahadith, for knowledge of it, to know what the Messenger taught us, the final Messenger from Allah, the one who was taken up to the heavens, and it was 1400 years ago. 1400 years ago, that knowledge has come down and been passed on generation after generation. And it has come to you now, and it is from the greatest of blessings of Allah upon you, that you're not wandering the streets and you're here sat in the masjid instead. And so many you know are still wandering the streets doing nothing. From the greatest of blessings of Allah upon you that He guided you to the truth, guided you to this path. And so you ask Allah to keep you firm upon it, as the Prophet ﷺ used to do. Ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh Allah, the one who changes the hearts of the people, keep my heart firm upon your religion. This is from the greatest of the blessings that Allah guided you to this truth. So do not allow this opportunity to miss you by. Do not allow these days and nights to pass you by. The youth to come and go. And in reality you find yourself in 10 years from now and still you do not know the reality of the three fundamental principles properly. Still you cannot explain that book to your five-year-old child properly. Kitab al-Tawheed and you do not understand the chapters properly. These books in the fundamentals of the principles, names and attributes of Allah, the issue that differed and split all of the groups from the times of old, when the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ سَتَفْتَرِقُ إِلَى ثَلَاثِ مَسَبْعِينَ فِرْقَةِ كُلُّهَا فِي النَّارِ إِلَّا وَاحِدًا All of this ummah, it will split. 
My ummah was split into 73 sects. All of them in the fire except one. Qalu man hiya ya Rasulullah. They said, who is that one, O Messenger of Allah? And then in one narration, Qala ma ana alayhi al-yawma wa ashabi. What I am upon today and my companions. That is the knowledge of the truth. All of the groups, they split away and the majority of the splits occurred over this issue of names and attributes. Yet you're going to become, if Allah decrees into your 40s and 50s and 60s, and you're not able to explain to your child, to your grandchild, the aqeedah of Ahl sunnah They ask you, what is the aqeedah of Ahl sunnah regarding Allah? You're not able to explain and you don't have a single evidence memorized. They ask you, what is the aqeedah regarding where is Allah? Everybody keeps saying Allah is everywhere. What is the truth? And you're unable to explain with a single evidence. They ask you, what are these questions in the grave? Man rabbuka, man nabiyuka, wa ma Who is your Lord? What is your religion? Who is your prophet? And you're unable to explain. You're unable to explain the iman in Allah, in the angels, the books, the decree, the prophets, the day of judgment. You're unable to explain the shahada and the tawheed and what it means and the basics of it. You're unable to explain the pillars of Islam. You're unable to explain what hajj is and how it works. You don't know how to do hajj. You've never learned how to do it. You don't know what the principles and the pillars of it are. How are you going to explain to your child who now says, I want to learn about hajj. You don't know about fasting, what is allowed, what is not. Another Ramadan gone by, and still yet you do not know the rules of fasting, yet you've gone by another Ramadan. Another Ramadan come and gone, and you've done your fasting as you think. And in reality, you still don't know the rules and the fiqh of what is allowed, what is not allowed, how it's done, how it's not. Zakat comes upon you once a year and you still don't know what the rulings are, what to do with it. All of these aspects, the prayer five times a day, five times a day the prayer. And how many of us can stand here now and describe that prayer from beginning to end upon the sunnah? Describe every aspect of that prayer beginning to end upon the sunnah. Before the prayer of the wudu, how many of us can describe the wudu beginning to end upon the sunnah? How many of us know the shurut, the arkan, the sunan? How many of us know these affairs about the worship that you have to do five times every day? Otherwise, do you not see the narration? The narration regarding the one who prayed badly. The one who prayed badly, the one who prayed badly, he came to the mosque and he prayed. And the Prophet said to him, Go back and pray again, you haven't prayed. So he went back and prayed again. And then he came and gave salam and the Prophet said, Go and pray, you haven't prayed. Until the third time the man said, I don't know. That is all I know. That's how I pray. I don't know. All of that time praying and he's not praying accurately. So now how many of us know these affairs? How many of us know these affairs? And yet we still do not make an effort to attend one class a week regularly. One hour of your week regularly cannot be put aside. And still you are unable to explain the wudu beginning to end upon the sunnah. Explain the prayer beginning to end upon the sunnah. 
explain the pillars of Iman, what is the day of judgment and the things that are going to happen. What is the prophets and messengers, our belief in them. What are the books and our belief in them. You cannot explain these things if you are from those people who cannot. Then why is it that you cannot put aside one hour a week to learn? We've been doing classes here now in this masjid since 2009. Ten years almost now, a decade. Various books we've gone through since that time. So now for brothers who've been here for the longer time, for several years from those earlier days. So what have you learned from those earlier days? Can you even remember the books that we did in those earlier days? Not just here, but in the other Marakis everywhere too. Since 2009, 2010, we've been doing books upon books. One after the next, we sit together every week. Every week we sit together, we gather and we read through the books to learn about the religion that we're upon, to learn about what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to learn about because there is a minimum level of knowledge a minimum level of knowledge everybody has to have. There are certain types of knowledge you can say, I'm not a scholar, I don't know those things. Ask the students of knowledge, ask the scholars, no problem. Ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. But then there are certain types of knowledge where you cannot say that. You are asked a question about certain types of knowledge, you cannot say, go and ask a student of knowledge, I don't know. There is a minimum level you must know yourself. Somebody asks you, tell me how to pray beginning to end upon the sunnah. You cannot say, I don't know, go to a student of knowledge. What do you mean you don't know, go to a student of knowledge? How do you pray five times a day then? Somebody says, do you explain to me upon the sunnah, wudu properly beginning to end? You cannot say, go to a student of knowledge, I don't know. Why not? How do you make wudu five times every day? What are you doing then? Somebody asks you about aqidah, tawheed, shahada. They say, explain to me the shahada. Explain to me the basis of tawheed in your religion. Why is it any different to Christianity, Judaism? What is this tawheed you talk about? You can't do it. Only 60 seconds and that's it. You've got nothing else left to say. And that is a calamity for the Muslim ummah. When the people, they talk about, look at the state of the ummah. Look at the calamity that has befallen the Ummah. Look at the disasters and the wars and the burdens and the difficulties across the world. Then as Al-Shaykh Al-Athameen Rahimahullah Ta'ala said, there are two ways to look at that in terms of answering it. One is the Ikhwani way. Politics, it's all down to that ruler and this ruler and these Muslims and the Saudi king and this and that and everything else and politics. That's why the Muslim Ummah is suffering. They allowed the basis to be used. And the, the Jews are doing this and the Christians are doing that. That is the political answer to it. As Shaykh Al-Athameen said, wait. What about the other perspective you need to actually realize as to why the calamity is upon the Muslim Ummah? And that is the Islamic legislative perspective. That the Ummah does not even know how to make wudu properly for its five prayers. The ummah does not even know how to establish the prayer upon the sunnah as the Prophet ﷺ said, Sallu kama Before any of that, the ummah does not even understand the meaning of the shahada. Meaning a, ma a, a vast majority, a large proportion of the ummah. If that is the situation, 
And that is the circumstance that the Ummah is in, and it certainly is a lack of knowledge of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, the Aqeedah. Then what do you expect of honor to be? What honor and power do you expect for the Ummah? The Ummah, who as a general statement, have left their religion and understanding their religion. They have left and not understood Tawheed any longer. They are there performing Tawaf around the graves, going and performing sujood to the graves, seeking intercession from the dead, wearing all types of amulets, seeking goodness from them, hoping in them. This is the state of the Muslims. Then do not say it's because of the ruler this is happening or that is happening. كَمَا تَكُونُوا عَلَيْكُمْ As you are, your rulers will be placed upon you. As you behave and as you are as an ummah, then your rulers will be accordingly placed upon you. So do not expect the likes of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq to come upon you now as a ruler when you are still unable to perform five prayers in a day. Unable to wake up to pray the Fajr. Unable to stay up to pray the Isha. Unable to pray the prayers during the day. Missing here and there. Praying whenever outside of the times. That is the state of the Ummah. Then you want to talk about the rulers are causing things. Rather you have caused it upon yourselves as the scholars will say. Until the Ummah returns back to the religion. And that returning back to the religion. It does not need to occur on some mass level. It occurs in these gatherings right here. It occurs in these gatherings of 40, 50, 100 people. Here, in other places, other cities, other masajid, that you learn. You learn your religion. You go and teach it to your families. You teach it to your children. You spread it to your neighbors and your communities. So the importance of that cannot be downplayed. Everybody needs to go away today with a focus. A focus in understanding that your days and nights are passing you by. They are passing you by. And every day you are getting closer to death, you are not getting further away from it. Every day that goes by is another day of opportunity that has gone by. For all of these days you've been given are your days of opportunity. If you wish to waste those days and you do not make a focus in attending classes of knowledge because here in the West that is even more important. Even more important when there is no apparent and open proclamation of the religion on the streets. It's dawla kafira. So now you don't have the adhan in the streets. You don't have those things appearing. You require even more in terms of coming to learn these things because you're not going to see them in practice out in the streets. It's a focus that everybody needs to adjust to something of seriousness, not just something we attend the class every week. No revision ever, no preparation ever, no books, no pens, that you come when you want, you miss when you want. That isn't the way of knowledge. And that is certainly not the way of the student of knowledge. And that is why Al-Albiri mentioned in his poem. He mentioned, if you see, If you see your colleagues up in the heavens, and you see yourself down on the ground, 
then don't blame anyone other than yourself and your laziness. Meaning if you see your colleagues up in the air, that they are seeking knowledge and learning more and more, memorizing, understanding, and you see yourself down in the dump still, because you've not bothered to do anything, then only regret upon yourself. Have the regret upon yourself, it's not upon anyone else. So, what we need to do then, is to organize ourselves from next week, inshallah ta'ala, to be prepared, to be ready, to come ourselves, to encourage our friends, our families. We always try and keep the classes to a minimal level of understanding. Always try to keep them as uncomplicated as possible. Possible to be understood by the newcomers and new to the religion and practicing. So encourage yourselves, your families, your children. If they are an age now where they can understand and listen, then you see some of them are here today. Don't let yours miss out. Make that the focus now. Understand that Allah has created you for His worship. And you're only going to understand how to worship Allah by gaining knowledge of this religion. And that is what will bring the improvement in yourself, in your families, in the da'wah, in the community, in everything. Nobody else has any right to come with voices. Your voice will be heard. If you are here and you're studying and you're somebody who has that background of studying. Anybody who doesn't, then you see across the world as the scholars, they say, the fitna and the problems always come from those who don't have any studying and don't have any striving. So don't be from those fitna they come. Trials and tribulations they come. You see them across the world, you see them occurring. Those trials and tribulations, the ones who are sucked in and those who are harmed by them are the ones who are far away from the study of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, far away from the gatherings of knowledge, the gatherings that has been mentioned in the Sunnah. That a group of people do not come together in a house, in the houses of Allah. Except that the the serenity from Allah descends upon them. The mercy of Allah engulfs them. The angels, they descend upon them. malaika, And then later in the other narration, in the narration of the one who strives for knowledge, وَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَ لَا تَضَعْ أَجْنِحَتَهَا لِطَالِبِ الْعِمْرِضًا بِمَا يَصْنَعْ The angels, they lower their wings to the student of knowledge for that which he is performing in terms of seeking that knowledge. So insha'Allah ta'ala, from next week we'll begin. And insha'Allah ta'ala, everybody will be ready and focused to prepare themselves to take this knowledge with seriousness, to be earnest upon that, have zeal, complete this book properly so you understand it, and you recollect and remember it and seek the knowledge of it. And then after that insha'Allah ta'ala, we move on as we have with other texts and other books. And there's an opportunity for the newcomers, those who are new to the da'wah. you got friends and family, you want to encourage them. Bring them. Even if the lesson is too much for them, they can ask questions afterwards. They can come and speak afterwards. It's an opportunity, these gatherings of knowledge, for those people that you hope for them to be guided, just as Allah guided you. So... 
we'll conclude upon that reminder for tonight. And inshallah ta'ala, next week at 8 p.m. or just after 8 p.m., very shortly after 8 p.m. inshallah ta'ala, we'll begin and we'll carry on with this lesson. And if you recall, we were talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the throne of Allah. The throne of Allah and that Allah is above all of his creation. That's the topic and the subject we were talking about. So inshallah ta'ala, that's what we'll resume with from next week. Just after 8 p.m. inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.